and welcome to The New Conspiracist, the show that, quite frankly, is the best podcast in the entire world, if you don't count other podcasts that are better than it. And as always, I am joined by my bestie... What's your name? What's my name? I don't know, because I've had a microchip put in my arm. My name is Julian Rubenstein, and beside me is the Bill Gates of podcasting, injecting himself into everyone's ears. It's James Ball! Woo, 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 woo! Execute Order 66. <laughs> so um, that's, that's if you've not watched Star Wars prequels, that's going to be lost on you. If you haven't watched Star Wars prequels, you really have no business. Even, <laughs> listening like, to this podcast. Like, what the fuck are you... Get, get, stop listening to this. Go on Disney Plus and watch the joy. Joy that is. What was your best bit in that? I mean, Yoda with a lightsaber. Oh, come on, come on, come mate! On. It's absolutely. Sick. I'm a man of simple pleasures. <laughs> right, Joel. Who is our guest this week? This week, we've got a broadcaster, an author extraordinaire, previous guest on this very show. We're welcoming back the great. James O'Brien. Now, James can be found on LBC every weekday from 10 till 1, where he presents a show really since 2004 with his sort of scathing attacks on everything from British politics to today's very topic, often going viral on social media. James has written for newspapers. He's written books, including 2020's How Not To Be Wrong, The Art Of Changing Your Mind. He's hosted TV shows. He's hosted podcasts. And in short, He's done a bloody lot. And on top of that, he's an ardent Kidderminster Harriers FC fan. That's my team. Jamesy, he's quite a good friend of ours as well. I mean, he's someone that we generally think is a good egg, don't I think we? I think we could safely call him a pal of the pod. I would go that far. So today, we're diving into the world of anti-vaxxers and asking if the COVID vaccine was just one big conspiracy. But before we get into the show, this is the last episode of season three. Oh my God. 20 episodes of goodness. 40 if you count the old uh, well, classic well, tier fours. We will be back in the new year with brand new episodes with some great guests. Not like the crap we had this year. Not like the dross that we've had. But to keep yourself tied over till then, why not subscribe to our tier four platinum circle by heading over to newconspiracist.com Wherefore, just two ninety nine a month, you can listen to all of our back catalogue ad free, and check out our exclusive bonus episodes. On the weekly bonus episodes, we've covered everything from AI potentially killing us all to James's absolute obsession with the Croydon cat killer, asked the question if Martin Lewis was behind the cost of living crisis and answered listeners' questions like, what's the best secret society? And so on the dark winter months, is it not the perfect time to binge yourself silly on all of these episodes and more? So head over to newconspiracist.com now. Right now, we can tell you haven't done it yet. Do it now. On with the show. James O'Brien, saviour of the airwaves, LBC's 10 till 1 superstar, and also a man who's sort of got a bit of a roadman look about him today. So it's like, <laughs> entirely by accident, quite I can a assure strong, you. <laughs> almost Kano-esque. Look, Behave. how are you doing, bro? I'm very well. I'm wearing my Facebook shoes. Every now and then I like to buy something completely randomly <laughs> that the algorithm suggests on Facebook. Let and me these, see these kits. These are a particularly ridiculous... They're oh like, my they're goodness! Like a cross between slippers and pumps, but look, they've got like a woolen collar. Oh. Ooh, on them as well. they're, they're awful. I I sort of don't hate them. No, they're, well, they you know they're, they they're... fit in very well around here in Old Street, don't they? James, you have been on this show before, uh-huh. but when it was on Zoom, and well, but this is the this is the sort of sad thing: as our audio quality and studio quality goes up, your voice is just descending, just with age and neglect. Well, as anyone might know, because it started to come out now, I've been shouting and hollering in the studio of Britain's number one hip hop show, "Don't Hate the Players." And it's very similar to working with you guys, Jordan <laughs> uh, Stevens and Maya Jama, yeah. James I, I, I Paul and James devo- O'Brien. I watch it devotedly, obviously. It's, it's really your kind of thing. Um, Jamesy, yes. I wanted to ask you, because we have asked all our other guests this, when you were a young, young man, mm. throw, your, throw your mind back to your school days, what was the first conspiracy theory you kind of came into contact with? School days? Well... Whenever. It'd be the moon, wouldn't it? I Was think, it? Yeah, Was I think that, that there would be somebody who genuinely, or someone's dad, genuinely believed that that human beings had never landed on the moon and that it had all been filmed in a 
in an aircraft hangar in in Utah or something like that. I think that would be the first one. The Kubrick, the Kubrick one. I think that's probably the second most said one. Yeah, I, I, would have, I think I that feel, was quite no, common. Well, now I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah. Was it 9-11 for the first one? 9-11 yeah. and right. McCartney are kind I'm of old. getting close. What's the close. McCartney one? What's the McCartney uh, one? Oh, done, oh, done, oh, oh, God. Uh, so you've got to ask Deborah Francis White about that oh, yeah. one. But, uh, but that he died and was replaced. Oh, no, I did uh, yes. been a lookalike thanks yeah, 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 to yeah, yeah. an like, open audition. Revolution 9. Revolution 9. No, yeah, I, well, uh, I was aware of that. I didn't know it qualified as a conspiracy theory. There's an interesting question. Is that because you think it's true? Where is that? James O'Brien believes McCartney. He's dead. Where is the have threshold? Have you interviewed him? That's got no, a headline. You've never, never, well, never there you go. Is I could have done once. he was dead? <laughs> I could have done, yeah, obviously. How can you I could have done once. I could have done once when he was with Heather Mills and she was friends with friends of ours right. who were having a birthday party. It must have been 20 years ago, would it? It'd be a 30th birthday party. I'm older than you two. And he dropped her off and the, and the courtship was still a bit on the down low, but it was full on. Mm. And he, he sat outside. No. For four or five hours, waiting for her to finish socialising with, um, <laughs> and and it was quite poignant in a way. And and at the time, we thought it was quite romantic. It, it's it's more like weird dad energy. It was like, a little, you know, well, no, no, one's, not, no one's holding my daughter's I, hand at prom. I don't want to be party to any criticism of McCartney because I, I live in hope of one day sitting down and interviewing. What a hero! We but love I, him. I, I was a showbiz journalist at the time, and if I'd been any good at all, <laughs> I obviously would have gone out and tried to. <laughs> to get a few words with him because he'd have been so bored by this point he might even have spoken to me but I bottled it completely is that why the career has been such uh, a dead end well, since well the show was, was no, it's why I moved it's why I changed lanes it's such a shame as well because I thought he was going to say that when he was having dinner in Kettner's well, here we go. and then there was a really like just a really quiet meal yeah. and then some really really nice guys with came some over. really unproblematic views just came over and had a really really nice chat do you know about this I do know no, that's see, most people shame. don't it, well it was, it was uh, the thing about private members clubs yeah, indeed is that members of the public are not supposed to bother celebrities right <laughs> so so when the, I love that this is how we're going in so when the leader of I forget what party it's the called Pricks the party, reverse party called. the one that used to knock about with Farage yeah. came over to tell me how much Brexit party my, UKIP yeah one of, them. one of them he came over to tell me how much he enjoys my show and how oh. surprised I would be to hear this I told him to fuck off yeah. and I would do as so again fucking, <laughs> as you fucking should my friend I'm intrigued because as the host of Britain's number one talk show phone-in, what conspiracy theory do you think the most people have called in advocating? Over the over like nearly 20 years. Well, I, no, no, Maybe over take, the last six. Let's take and let's let's can we please not talk about Brexit that much? No, of course not. Well, that's not a conspiracy. No, I know, theory. but I'm set because we did that, that last that, time. That happened. It's, it's done, but, I'm, but let's not. I'm just intrigued. What's the let's 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 broaden it out, not necessarily the one, but what are the ones that seem to come up most? You always suffer, don't you? It's like asking what the best 50 albums of all time yeah, are. Yeah, and yeah. the one that came out most recently is always grossly overrepresented yeah, in, the, yeah. in the hit parade. But I, I think that the one that has me most puzzled and the one that certainly in recent years has been most prevalent is, is the idea that either coronavirus, the coronavirus, COVID was a hoax, or that the vaccines, there's some malevolent subtext to the vaccines that only sort of weird former footballers and failed broadcasters are party to and the medical establishment and everybody else is 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 part of the the cover-up so, you would say that i mean you're part of the <clears throat> when, when i become a failed broadcaster he works, I will for, join he the works for george soros and bill gates I, I so gonna, i'm really <clears throat> the only one representing the people today i i am gonna have to get this disclosure in uh early and formally <laughs> this week can't <laughs> i um i work in my day job for the bureau of investigative journalism and one of the teams i manage is a global health team which receives funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We are fully editorially independent and transparent about our funding. But it is pretty fucking weird. And also, way... I got to have the version of the vaccine that doesn't have the mind control. Well, I was going to say that. So, uh, well, you, that's why you're saying what you're saying. It's quite weird because every day he comes in with these fucking needles and he's like, is today the day? Are you ready to get, you know, <laughs> part of you now. ready to be so that, And it's all, as you know, knitted together. So that started off the back of Q and it's very hard yeah. to separate QAnon from anti-vaccine and, and there's a good book coming out next year on that did topic. you happen to write I it? I to write James Bond the plug is in that quickly listen before we go I, I can't wait for that I can't wait for that what's it called? To... called hang on what's it called it's called The Other Pandemic right. How the Cult of QAnon Contaminated the World oh there it is there you go you happy now? yes but listen before we get on to 
COVID conspiracy theories. James, we're not just going to talk about COVID mm. anti-vax conspiracy theories today, are we? Oh, there's a, there's a rich and deep history of anti-vax sort of conspiracies, um, which I'm sure we will end up getting into quite quickly. But, you know, was it just the sort of the frequency of the COVID phone-in ones on it? Or is, is there something deeper that interests you about the sort of anti-vax movement? I, well, you, I mean, you're thinking of Andrew Wakefield, aren't you, and the MMR and stuff like that. I mean, like it goes, that. goes back it goes, well before go, that, well, yeah. Well, but, but, but Wakefield but, is the big one, yeah. And, and in the context of some of the vaguely plausible roots of the modern anti-vax stuff, so some of the early experimentation on people of colour was actually racist. And so so when ethnic minority care workers in particular were expressing scepticism about the efficacy or the safety of the of the COVID vaccine, it was important to understand that that some of that has a has a has a familial or a historical context that makes at least some sense. Yes. But and and it was it was quite badly handled very actually badly because handled. essentially there was in the UK at least a specific effort to target yes. older, especially black people, but actually broader black and minority ethnic groups with the vaccine early because they were showing the highest death rates. But given the quite grim history of experimenting on new drugs, often without anything like proper consent on exactly those groups it was coming against a mistrust barrier and I don't think it was sufficiently thought through. I, th I think there was some awareness of the risk, but of course the optics of it were terrible. I, th I, I fully believe the intentions were noble. It was actually about trying to yes. save more lives and in this case, save the lives of people of colour. But I think there was a bit of a habit of treating the sort of residual mistrust as you know, some sort of educational issue or some sort yeah. of irrational mm. issue. Because we don't know enough. Not. We don't yeah. know enough about those. I mean, even now, I should have the the names of, of particularly the syphilis mm. uh, uh, treatment that was inflicted upon black men without them even knowing what was happening. I haven't I haven't got the name on the tip of my tongue, which no. is evidence of how poorly taught it's been over the years. The institutional racism within the kind of no, I have a system. feeling it's Spokane, but that's, yeah, I think that's you're right. Yeah. Well. It's the Spokane no, it vaccine um, trial. It is, it is, it but is. also, my best friend Errol, even when he was who, who is uh, you know he's biracial, but his dad was from Curacao. Mm. Even in the late eighties, he would go to the dentist, and he was told when he was having a wisdom tooth out that he didn't need a painkiller because black people didn't feel pain Shut up. in the way that white people did. Good grief. And this type of, you know, I mean, when I got quite involved with this sort of Black Lives Matter movement after the lynching of George Floyd, the medical outcomes yeah. that you hear about, the disparity, is not something we massively talk about. So I think, you know, to your broader point, we didn't look at that and I mean to be fair there was a huge deluge of other information at the time we, we should we should probably jump back and get into the history at some yeah point, I think it's we? really yeah. interesting because let's uh, James let's let's get into this so let's talk about the very origins of anti-vax conspiracies way before COVID so you you've got to almost acknowledge anti-vax was a really sensible sentiment yes. early on because medical <laughs> science was crap the doctor was more likely to kill you than to help you and so as things started coming up that worked, they were quite suspect. You, know, you often would do better if you just steered clear of everyone. But what sort of came before vaccination was this thing called variolation. It was quite gross and it was incredibly counterintuitive. And it came up for smallpox. Now, we, we sort of roughly know in our heads the story of the smallpox vaccine, mm. which is that if you've had cowpox, you're immune to it. So they worked something out based on cowpox to put that through. This is actually how the monkeypox jab works. It's smallpox jab. Um, they're related enough that it's there. Um, so, but with variolation, this was a cruder sort of earlier tactic, and it did backfire sometimes. Unlike with a smallpox jab, there was a very small chance you could get smallpox. Right. And... With smallpox, you would isolate the people and stay the hell away. And what variolation asked you to do was instead get some of the pus from a, a very small amount of pus from a smallpox oh. sort of scab and cut open your arm 
and put the puss in there. From someone else's scab. From someone else's right. scab. Yeah. Uh, and you put did it, that kind of thing in public school, didn't you, James? That was just a standard thing put, at school. Put Biscuit. it in for a sort of healthy person. Okay. And they, they'd then get a very mild case, perhaps some blistering, right. but then be immune to smallpox. Gosh. And this actually was royal families in Europe that helped popularise it. Mm. So the Queen of England... Uh, famously sort of did it with her children. I can't remember which one, but notoriously Catherine the Great. Yeah. Uh, did she eat the scabs? She gave it to her child and herself sort of in front of the court oh. to try and popularise it. Wow. It's not just like a jab now when the social norm is that you get oh. jabbed. It is to do this repellent thing to your child, to cut your child yeah. and put in yeah. pus from a deadly infection. It's the same medical principle, is it? Yes, it yeah, is. It's, um, it's essentially... Variolation works the same way as vaccination, just vaccination is somewhat refined. It feels a little more gentle. Yes, um, it? and it, it should be said now, almost every vaccine that you'd use uses basically de denurtured or deactivated cells so you can't actually get the flu from a flu jab but you can feel like you have because you're getting the immune response you would to flu and most of the things that make you feel crap on your own immune mm. system but you can see why yeah, of people would oppose vaccination like there was firstly you know once it came to be from cows you're injecting cow material into people that that feels wrong that can be stemmed in religion. You know, there's always yeah. been religious opposition to different medical treatments. There are mm. religions now that still won't accept blood transfusion, for example. There were sort of disgust reactions. There were sort of religious reactions. There was scepticism that was sort of well-founded. We are still in the very early days of the scientific method here. You know, we're talking 19th century for yeah. pretty much all of this. Of course. You know, you almost want to be able to separate out, hey, there has been, as long as there's been vaccination, anti-vaccination sentiment. And that's not just because everyone in the 19th century was an idiot. No, but also, don't you think, just sorry to take it back to a kind no, of no. basic bitch <laughs> level of, like, kind of broad 10, but it's quite a mental... If you don't have critical thinking, it's quite a mental idea, isn't it? It's like, I'm going to inject myself with a bit of the thing I'm scared of getting. Well, yes and no. Like, I'm just saying, before that sort of sign, you can imagine at the beginning, something like, so we don't want you to get this, so we're going to give it to you. Yeah. And I do, I've been yes, on anti-vax marches where people have literally said have. to me, I fucking have, mate, love it. My, they're my crowd. But like, honestly, where they've literally just gone to me, are you thick? Why would we inject the virus into me? And you know what? It's not that... Like, I think we need to have a little more sympathy for that basic notion. Yeah, for that basic notion, not necessarily for the people propelled to to, to march at events that then sort of compare doctors and nurses to... Joseph Mengele comes up to you mean, Joseph Mengele? I don't know what you mean, Joseph. entirely reasonable people. But, the, but it's not. <laughs> you would I say mean, that as a member of the mainstream media. The, 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 the idea of building up immunity to something by being exposed to small amounts of it is, is perfectly logical. But when did that come about? I mean, it comes from poison. Is that where they it started doesn't work getting for, for, It doesn't it's work for everything. everything. If you have a tiny bit of hemlock, then when they try and knock you off, you'll be okay. Yeah. Really? I guess, and and yeah, you, I think you so. slowly amp up the dose that you have. Now, don't try this with heavy metal don't try poisoning. With don't, don't try it with mercury. We but, are not... This podcast is not uh, saying, get down with the Grecian hemlock. You know, this is this is why, you know, producer Michael on his ego rampage after being on last week's like tier four platinum He looks like he's off his tits on hemlock. Now, he, look at him. He tried to give me some hemlock this morning, and yet oh. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm in front of the mic. That's actually the new drug in East London now. Still <laughs> like the hemlock. <laughs> of hemlock. Right, let's get back to let's get back to as James was saying the history of it because obviously in eighteen, I say obviously in eighteen, <laughs> he's, got, he's, guys, got a, he's got a note in front of him. It's going obvious. Yes, we know all know what you're talking about. In eighteen fifty three, the Vaccination Act ordered the mandatory vaccination of infants up to three months old, and this was then extended to fourteen years old in eighteen sixty seven. But even that made with Massively wide resistance and the formation. I think this is the first. What I one. quite like is no. There's two. There's two different groups. Amazing. I love that because this is real. Because you people. Well, front, well, isn't no. It? It's that you always get a sort of a, a sort of slightly sensible objection group and then a slightly <laughs> lunatic one. And so, go on, <laughs> give us Labour the names. Party. Um, the anti-vaccination league. I like that. It's got a and the anti-compulsory vaccination league. Okay. Splitters. So one of them is 
vaccinations are bad. Yeah. One of them is compulsory vaccinations Which are bad. Which is an echo of, well, or, or rather really a is. neat reflection of where we found ourselves a year ago, a couple of years ago, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I, I found myself in the sort of uncomfortable position of being someone who is very, very pro-vaccine, yes. pro-science, pro-everything. And really sceptical about vaccine passports. Which never came in. No. Which is an important point to make because a lot of the rhetoric continues yes. to hinge upon the presumption that yeah. it did. I mean, they they essentially ended up doing so because for quite a while a lot of venues required them. But that's, You needed that, them to leave the country. Yes, you yes. needed them to... And so they became... You, you never needed them to leave your home. No. no. Which um, would have been a very different yeah, that, proposition. That would have I think been that you can at refuse, some stages You can be it. turned away from, from bars and clubs for wearing football colours. Yes. So not being able to produce a vaccine certificate seemed to me to be... Yeah. Not not in East I, London, though. They love <laughs> that shit. Wear it's extremely colours. trendy now. Well, try going to Soho House with a tie. I mean, the idea idea of being forced to take it, which people started talking about, uh, being held down and, and children being, that is a very different proposition from understanding the, it, the, the you know, the foundations that you need for herd immunity, va vaccine related. Yeah. There's, there's also, you can end up with the weird vibes on messaging, can't you? You yes. must sort of run into this yes. talking to so many people of, well, if it's so good, why are they trying to force me to take it? Yeah. And that's not, you know, a lot of these arguments aren't bad arguments. Mm. It sort of tells you a lot that, you know, I think public health messaging is crap because yes. we know best, do what we say, don't listen to the stupid people who didn't go to school where I did. Yes. And like, you know, politicians are just about stopping trying that, but... The, the medical establishment still seems to love it. I mean, is that white coaching? No, that's something else, isn't it? But the, I mean, I'm quite I'm oddly unrebellious or unchallenging in this. In this, I mean, I've had experiences in my life where doctors have got stuff wrong, and where actually having to quote do your own research and quotes has paid dividends because, as you've just mentioned, a lot of this is very new. But on public health, on a kind of Fauci or a, or a Chris Whitty. Mm. kind of level. I, I found them very compelling and convincing. And and if you had said to me, well, don't listen to them, listen to them, you would have to be pointing at someone pretty bloody impressive. What, like Donald Trump, who was telling <laughs> us to drink bleach? Yeah, you know, that guy, because well, he seemed pretty impressive that, to me. That, that's where my sympathy begins to dissolve, where, at the point right. where you say, okay, I understand why you have... Uh, a, a, a scepticism or resistance to authority. So where are you getting your information? There are so many different aspects of this that we're going to talk about today. But one of the um, things that I found really disturbing, I'm going to talk about something on a macro level and we'll talk about mm. the, the micro level stuff. And by micro level, I mean my dating. Um, the uh, On the macro level, Something do you, do you that... still check the vaccine passport before you go on the first date? Okay, should we just do the dating thing now? Because yeah. it's just so funny. Mm. Okay, so... I'm actually a bit. I'm off the market now. But when I was down, isn't it? when I was on the market, yeah. when I was on the market, I was on a time like day site. And as I'm sure you know, James, because you're a man of the world, yeah. a lot of people now were putting on dating sites like Hinge and stuff like that their vaccine status. Didn't know that it became it, a it's, real. It's thing. so on the chic. It's, it was. It was. I'm a, it sorry, was a real, I, I don't real think thing. I would ever go on a date with somebody who's put their vaccine state. Well, this on. is honestly some of the That's funniest like shit I've ever had. And I want to. I want. Wow, unbelievable. Um, but this is this is some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. And this is not someone who I went on a date with. It was just someone I linked with. Um, and uh, we were talking about stuff. And the first question was. This is a question to me. Yeah. Have you researched what the vaccine is? So you had your status on your... No, right? no, yeah, I just had vaccinated, right? Yeah, okay. So that's, well, I just, that's, why, that's the point. You, and that's yeah. why we can never date. Uh, from this oh, because I was vaccinated. So she was like, have you researched what the vaccine is? Right. And was, I that, was, like, was that her opening message? Yes, that's her opening message. And you didn't go and on and a date? I said, <laughs> no, no, it's weird. And I said, actually, it's funny, because I've actually got a podcast about conspiracy theories. I've written a show about the... Is, is, is this, that's quite a flex, mate, to come straight back with that. I mean, I, I, mean, no, I, mean. I, I host a podcast. It's very hoxton. It's very white. It's very white middle class. Band, I got a podcast. No one wants to date a podcast. I got a podcast. Uh, well, you'd be surprised. Anyway, so then he was like, so, so I was like, and I, I thought I was joking. I was like, I was like, lol, because I thought it was really yeah. funny. I was like, um, so where are you going with this? Are you going to talk to me about baby embryos? I'm starting to think this is something. Uh, this is this is going to be quite interesting. She said, no, it's about gene editing. I protested against the vaccines. And then she said, I would never have sex with someone that was vaccinated, who was vaccinated. And I was like, because? And she said, it changes your genes and women absorb men's cum. And I don't want your changed DNA in me. 
it is there. It has been proven. Not every single vaccine has it. Word for word. I mean, word for word. Concession. But but it's like a lucky dip. And I'm not willing to take a risk on my health. And it's the not willing to take a risk on my health thing that I think is the most incredible thing Mm. about it all, right? Better safe than sorry. Unbelievable. It's a precautionary principle, Jolly, and yeah. she's just been sensible. Well, there you go. Where did that come from? Do we know? Where the gene editing one. Yeah. There's quite a lot of people believe that. It's more in yeah. the sort of wild, fun bit of it where, you know, people think there's a chip in it or yeah. there's something. People think there's kill switches in it. Yeah. Uh, so Marburg, everyone will suddenly die of Marburg or that kind of What's thing. What's that? What is Marburg? It's like a bowler, but a bit nastier, but a bit less complicated. Oh, so suddenly we're going to be switched on and die. Yeah. And what was the... Was that because there's too many people on the planet? Yeah. This was the population. It's the, and that's why you have to mention that you were... That why I'm for, funded by Gates, because it's they Gates think that's that, that... He thinks there's too many people on the planet, and he's come up with a plan to reduce yeah. numbers. Well, but, it's it's this odd thing But where, I used to take calls from people who believed it. Well, all of the best conspiracy theories have a little bit of truth Of course they do. It. Of course so they like, do. So, like, you know, Davos did once publish... You know, the World Economic yes. Forum did once publish an essay saying in 2030 you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Yes. But it was a provocative essay by one person. Yes. Who and she, you know, the woman who wrote it, you can find her. She doesn't work for them. She's not a multi-billionaire or anything. She's like, she doesn't even necessarily like it's the a marketplace idea. of ideas. She was, yeah, posting yes. something. I mean, Davos have published things I've written, they, they uncredited, because they nicked them. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So uh, we, it's really it. funny seeing James in the World Economic Forum because he's walking around, he's got sheep's blood all over his head, <laughs> horns coming out. He's, he's doing this, like the January some strange, the bloke. Yeah. Some strange Illuminati <laughs> rituals with Rihanna and Jay Z. It's quite the sight. Look, but, but you, know, you, you got tiny. a yellow card then. Like, come on, there's only so many times I can leave you unmurdered for revealing <laughs> these things. So if Joel dies in a car crash tonight, this is going to look really awkward. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. The Gates thing, they want to push down fertility rates. Yes. Because what because generally happens... mortality rates. Yeah. Yes. If you have, few, you have fewer kids, but try and have them live. Yes. Um, you know, people don't have seven children if they think seven children will survive to adulthood. Precisely. And so it's also not that you have to, like, force people to have fewer kids or you have to, you know, give vasectomies or whatever, which people tend to focus in on. Yeah. If you improve infant mortality, people have fewer children, which is just better in terms of sustainability, in terms of people being able to work, in terms of chance of getting through education. And so they do explicitly have stuff saying they want to lower birth rates. But people sort of take that and go, he wants to depopulate the world. He wants to kill me. And they go, you know, he's bought all the farmland. Mm. And like he owns something like 0.02, maybe even 0.002% of America's farmland, not even of the world. Still quite a lot in the great scheme of things. But not not enough to take over the world. It's way too much for one dude to own. Um, But also, it's not like he then puts it all in an underground bunker for himself. Maybe he does, actually. I shouldn't shouldn't go beyond what I've got evidence for. The other part of this that I want to get into, which which is something I don't think is discussed enough, is I have done um, uh, two films in the last year for the Vaccine Alliance, which is an organisation who are basically trying to get the patents of the vaccine drops to literally vaccinate the world. And it may shock a lot of our audience to know that some countries can still not even afford to buy the vaccination for their populace. Mm. And that is because most of the vaccines... were developed for profit, apart from AstraZeneca. And AstraZeneca, when it was developed, very famously, in the University of Oxford, the most shocking thing, I think, of recent events that I've learned about this was that when AstraZeneca launched, a PR campaign was launched by other manufacturers to discredit 
AstraZeneca, which did so much damage to the idea that this vaccine could be trusted. And it, and it was a lot to do with Germany, wasn't it, James? I'm going to have to jump in and do the slight uh, yeah. legal head here sure. and go, other pharmaceutical companies have denied it and they certainly haven't on the record attacked it. But leading scientists, both actually from Oxford and I believe one or two who are associated from the AZ side of yeah. it, have said that it's their belief it came under a deliberate, sustained campaign and they sort of say, actually, with hindsight, the mistake they made was trying to do it more or less at cost yeah. everywhere. And what they wish they'd done with hindsight, because they think they'd have had a better rollout, would have been to do it at cost or even below cost in sort of emerging or global south right. countries, whatever term you want to use, but sold it and marketed it commercially in rich countries. Because they think the reason it got so aggressively attacked was because they, the other companies or people acting for them, you know, third-party PRs, etc. Corporate PR uh, companies, but also corporate attack dogs, basically. Often the governments of countries worried about their own pharma yeah. sectors represented quite aggressively against it because it could obviously take substantial market share and revenue from their companies. Now, I have to say there's been a lot of denials on this, but this, because this sounds like a conspiracy theory. But you it's know, not. It should, it's fucking true. But, well, and no, it's fucked up. No, That's not all conspiracy no, theories. Do a, your research. <laughs> there is, Do your research, O'Brien. There is evidence behind it and reasons to think it's true, yes. including that some of the leading scientists involved have said on the record with their name to it. We wish we'd done things They think that's. They think they that came, that came under the attack because yeah. of the pricing model. Yeah. But it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, we do live in a murky world, don't we? Yes, but we also live in a very capitalist free market world. So, you know, there's an ineluctable logic to the idea of, of, of trying to resist or fight against something. It's indefensible morally, but in terms of, you know, if I was a CEO of one of these companies, I'd be pointing out the outlay that we've made in research and development and the amount of money it's cost us to get to this point and the idea that we're going to give it away for free mm -hmm. in a world where, or certainly in countries where plenty of people are perfectly capable of affording it. What do you want me to give away free next? Got, got to be a bit tricky uh, going to bed at night as that CEO and going, yeah, I've, I've just made, I've just discredited a uh, not-for-profit yeah, vaccine. Yeah, if you start talking about the things that it must be difficult going to bed at night after being the CEO of something, we're going to be here yeah. for a very, very, very <laughs> I'm, long I'm interested. Time, Have you we? come across that those ideas before which we ones? were just talking about the, the, the discrediting the, the, of the AstraZeneca the one I have heard possibly through you I have I have heard that the the suggestion that the the reason why it suddenly and and and, and quite well, very quickly, mm. just sort of, there was an attempt to put a bad smell around the AstraZeneca. And it was quite a lot to do with when it came That's on stream it. in Germany, wasn't it? And there, well, there, there, really there were politicians nuts. who did, there was a, was there not a European Union politician who said, and then Macron, yeah. I think. Ma yeah. Macron went So he's getting it from it. somewhere, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the question is, where is he getting and, it from? And of course... Europe works in a bit more of a corporatist way. Government works a bit more closely with yes. companies, etc. I suspect what people will have done is look a lot more aggressively for problems with AZ than they looked for Definitely. in others. Yes. And then obviously not felt that much need to communicate aggressively the other way if you know when things were point. found when it was found not to be any more dangerous than the others. And 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 the you know, probably wasn't helped by Boris Johnson dancing around the place. Going Yabu sucks. Yeah, to the and European you, do, Union. you do also slightly screw up AZ's motivations yeah. because yeah. does it want to go all out in a fight with the other pharma companies for a vaccine it's not going to make much profit on? Yeah. It should be said, not nothing. They made money off it, yes. but not nearly as much as some of their rivals. As a friend of all of ours, Hassan Akkad, yes, Syrian refugee, who volunteered in a COVID ward after coming over uh, and seeking asylum. So uh, took, in took this an country. NHS job, basically. Yeah, took an NHS job. And for free, the bastard. <laughs> I do tell everyone who still has any doubt about any of this to please, please watch the documentary, Netflix documentary, Convergence, which is made by another friend of ours, Orlando, who made the White Helmets documentary in Virunga, um, and who... 
uh, actually experienced firsthand the realities of the COVID war, but they also followed the development of the Oxford vaccine mm. and the World Health Organization. And some of the revelations within that were absolutely fascinating about the gaming out of how it was. And what it really showed is that in every country with a populist leader, the country's death rate was sky high. Yeah. It was it was absolutely awful. And I think we all felt at the time that probably the leader who probably in, in a very, very dark time covered themselves in glory was Jacinda Ardern. Now, James, what was your feeling? Because you very much um, took us through, many of us, some... Unbelievable. I mean, I really think you, you and Lauren Laverne. I remember when you. she played that song. I, I mean it, mate. It was some. some I mean, deep, when deep when times. James and Lauren Laverne released that cover of Imagine, that, that <laughs> yeah. was what got me through. Oh my god, I'd almost forgotten the that. Islands in the stream. But just, um, just, just <laughs> I get, would, I would buy that. But just getting back to the slightly deeper stuff here for for, for James, yes. uh, because you 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 know walked through it now. Obviously, it feels, I mean, it's insane, isn't it? Because it's yeah. mass trauma. It's almost like we've eradicated it. Yeah, I think, I think that's gone. evolution. I think we do. What for you from the whole time, what are, the, what are the things that really stand out for you? I think, oddly, perhaps, given that it initially sounds very trivial, and this is a very personal position, when Boris Johnson got ill mm. and David Cameron said, he'll be fine, I've seen him play tennis. <laughs> My God. He did. He did say that. And, that. and this is something I understood immediately because of my public school education. And I was writing at the time, I was trying to write a book about having had therapy and having understood what a survival personality is and how these suits of armor that we put on very early in life at boarding schools where, where you get brutalized quite regularly and you think that's who you are. You Can think, you explain what that is for people who might not know, like a survival? Yeah, you, you. so it turned out when I started having therapy that from roughly the age of 10, when I first started getting beaten regularly by my headmaster, who was um, six foot four and, and, and had a special tool that he used to hit us with. And I had started at the age of 10 persuading myself most importantly, and by association, everybody else around me, that it didn't hurt, that it didn't do me any harm, that I was absolutely fine. And that is a survival personality. I'm fine. It doesn't hurt. It's I get through anything. I can bully and fight and bluster and bloviate my way through any problem at all, even physical pain. So when David Cameron, and this is something I'd been working on for a heap of reasons, and I'd made various breakthroughs, and I wanted to write about it, but even I didn't have enough ego to think that my personal journey was going to be of enough interest. And I had a sense of a, a political dimension to it. And then David Cameron said, Boris Johnson will be fine. I've seen him play tennis. In other words, this inculcation of, of, of um, an absence of, I don't know what it would be, a denial of vulnerability, an absence of empathy, all the things that English men needed to run an empire, which were still, I don't think they are so much now, but certainly when we were there in the 1980s, they were still very much the bedrock of the public school, the English public school education and Johnson even more than Cameron is completely a product of that the, the denial of reality the the bogus charm with which you can persuade matron to give you an extra portion of porridge before bedtime or whatever it may be he is it he's the embodiment of it and and I don't think there is much of a buried conscience with Johnson because I think he has sociopathic tendencies but when Cameron said it I thought Christ we're in trouble there's there's a sort of darker still side to people still in that locked yeah. mindset running a country as yes, well absolutely. because it essentially kind of the implicit thing within it and he won't have thought about it nearly as profoundly as as you just said out there but the the idea within it is well he's tenacious enough he's got yeah. the grit he's got the reserves yeah. he's got the drive so he'll survive yeah the corollary being the people who dropped dead yeah. didn't want it. Didn't enough. fight hard enough. And when you start thinking about that with success or with yes. poverty or with illness, it's not the trait you want in people. It's the opposite of the trait you want from someone running the country. You know, it's not necessarily from callousness it's that they don't understand enough to have the compassion to go sometimes you can want it and have the drive and have everything and you you still get nowhere um, you're absolutely right with the possible exception of war mm. with the possible exception of a, of a of an existential war a nazi type war where mm. poss possibly you do want somebody who will not lie awake at night worrying about casualties but who will pursue 
Possibly, but just possibly. So if only Boris Johnson had a world war instead well, of a pandemic. But think about the Churchillian yeah, fetishisation. No, that, that's, that's what he admires. That's what he sought to be. I think probably in his quiet moments, he thought coronavirus might be his second world war and thought that the skill set you might possibly benefit from in the context of a very specific type of war where it is good versus evil or at least freedom versus oppression. But he, he thought that that would work. With like, like Russia's heroic battle to liberate Bingo. Ukraine. Exactly that, yes. He thought, yes, exactly that. <laughs> he he thought that would work. And, and of course, where it leads, and again, this is something I still can't believe got the traction that it got and, and retains, it culminates in him then having to, in his own mind, because to admit a mistake or to admit vulnerability or to admit any form of error is something you cannot psychologically contemplate. It's like a thread that you tug and your whole survival personality will fall apart. So it leads, in my mind, inexorably to, he got I got all the big calls right, when he categorically and demonstrably didn't. He got some of them tragically, fatally, horribly wrong. But he can stand up and say repeatedly, you know, I got all the big calls right. Or his supporters will take from him the message that he got all the big calls right. And I think it's impossible to separate them from each other. He he has to believe on some level that he's invulnerable. Therefore, the way he plays tennis will help him deal with coronavirus. And when he gets to the end of it, if we are at the end of it, then he retrospectively will say, I got everything right. And so it's astonishing that people went along with it. You're listening to the new psychotherapist with James O'Brien. I, I, do wanna, I, do I wanna, find this fascinating. I, I, I do want. I do want to say before we just you know sort of blithely move past it. Like thank you for saying all of that okay. because I didn't know that. Right, it makes sense though, and, mate. It makes so much I sense. Hope it does. And, no, not just that. I think it's really fucking important that men talk about these things. Mm. That is a total blind spot for. So, like the vast majority of men. Yes, it is. I mean, even recently, a family member, I'm not going to go too much into it, but someone I was really shocked, there was someone in my family suffering, paid some therapy, hmm. and th their nearest and dearest said, therapy? Yeah. What? What? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. What's that going to do? And I was so shocked that this is not someone I would expect, you know, definitely culturally left, rock and roll festivals. Yeah. You know, someone I would really see as someone who's, you know, open. And it is, in fact, something that is still so deeply fucking... And, and the way you're, you know, going from the macro to the micro to the macros is, 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 is massively important. And I, I, I massively salute you and applaud it. Now, we don't have that much time I was going to say, can we get back in our lane? We're gonna, we don't have that much time <laughs> left. Don't have that choice, but it would be ridiculous to have James O'Brien on, wouldn't it, audience, and not get into the clusterfuck of current reality a little. So let's just talk about the absolute, absolute chronic madness that is current reality just a bit. Because we are still, I think, as you intimated, in lieu of this huge, un- bridgeable divide yeah. between empiric reality hmm. as seen by the markets and what would you call it mass delusion is british democracy broken yeah of course it is it's been broken since 2016 and and you know you, we said we weren't going to mention brexit much but you can't do this you must have heard me tell this story a million times but i think it's so emblematic of the problem when i was presenting and and it's news night on the bbc so it's not lbc where there is room for eccentricity and there's room for nibbling at the edges of 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 consensus if you like it's the bbc it's the flagship political program on the bbc and it was during the period where various people were claiming that we could leave the European Union without any deal at all. And they were not freaks, or they were freaks, but they were mainstream people. They were household name politicians. They were newspaper editors and newspaper columnists. They were people who didn't just influence public discourse, and they in many ways determined and defined it. And they were convinced, let's go WTO. We don't need a deal at all. We can, we can now, very, very briefly, they end up in that position because all the other avenues that they insisted that existed have slammed in their faces. And it's the only thing they feared unless someone could come along and tell lies epic enough to get a deal that didn't bear any resemblance to the deal that he said it was through Q. Boris Johnson. But at the time it was WTO. So I'm presenting Newsnight and we get Pascal Lamy booked, former director general of the World Trade Organization. And I say that that is wonderful. And I just, how, how long can I have with him? 
because I really want to dig into the detail of what the World Trade Organization is, what it does, and what a deal would mean under WTO terms, which is what all these people kept insisting would be absolutely fine and possibly even preferable to single market and customs union membership. And and they said, well, you can have, we've got about eight minutes or maybe 10, depending on how the rest of the program goes, but it won't just be him. You'll have to have someone else on for balance. And I said, okay. And I was never, I never had my feet under the desk very far at, at, at Newsnight. And I didn't stay there very long. But the team there, Duncan, I think, was there actually, Duncan mm-hmm. Weldon. It's the best journalist, some of the very best journalists I'll ever have the pleasure of working with. And and it was it wasn't embarrassed or shame faced or anything like that. It was actually just a given. It was it was the model was we'll have to get someone on to talk about the WTO to balance out the bloke that used to run it. And it's it, he's not a party political no. figure. He's not no. sort of on the side of it. He is a sort of independent source of authority. Yeah, you don't. And go on. Who was the balance? You want to guess? I, I've got I've got a thought. Go on. Is it Patrick Minford? No, worse. It's much worse than that. It's Nigel, isn't it? No, it's worse than that. It was Dan a- Hannon? No, it's much worse than this. But these are brilliant suggestions because these are all people that Rolf we, Harris. We, we, shut up, <laughs> we think of as being a little bit out there. Or, or and, and Emily Maitlis spoke brilliantly about how they... Well, I want to come on to that. Minford. It was Andrea Ledsom. Oh, for Me. pity's sake. Andrea Ledsom is sitting there and I have to turn from Pascal Lamy, having heard... Not as much as I wanted to hear, but as much as I was going to hear about exactly what the World Trade Organization is and does. And I have to effectively turn, I can't remember my exact words, to Andrea Ledsom and say, Andrea, you disagree. I'll help so, you out. This, uh, <laughs> and on my right, I have a fucking dullard who knows fuck all about this, but we've been asked to bring on as a lead weight yeah. to weigh down a conversation that she'd have nothing to do with and who's literally read briefing notes to literally go and convince she'd, with I emotional don't know that arguments. I don't she'd even done that. I don't know. James, there's, there's sort of an so idea. That's, that's why it's broken. Yeah. Right there, in that moment. That's why it's broken. There's an idea I'd like to quickly of get course. in with you that I think people miss, especially when they think about talk radio type mm. shows. And it's about the sort of budget of minutes. Yes, this is and so like, good. Newsnight's got 48 minutes a night. Yeah. And it's got packages. And the packages on a sort of quiet night will take up about 20 to 25. Yeah. And so to actually be in the studio, do all the links, do your two ways, do your guests, it's 20 minutes a night. Tops. Whereas you have three hours a day. Your adverts and uh, uh, you know, adverts news, and all of that down. Yeah, of course. But I do. with the breaks, you've got just over two hours by my maths. Yeah. And. You don't tend to have much in the way of packages on that. No. And so the discussion sort of space, there's a lot more. And so you can entertain a wider range of views and you can talk things through. Yeah. I think people really don't understand in some ways minutes on the shows and what that means for who well, a lot of people, is appropriate to have on. A lot of people making the shows don't understand that either because uh, they, yeah. they move at a rate of knots and they'll move from one guest to another and then they'll get a caller on who will speak for two minutes and then you'll get another caller on and I'm happy to talk to someone for 10 minutes. I mean, as you know, sometimes my monologues might might hit the hit the 20 minutes. No, they're fucking good. I love them. I, I don't <laughs> no, ever I mean, want you saying their shit. I'm not saying their shit. I'm just saying they're long. I know, there's no earthly way could you imagine doing an introduction good. to Newsnight that was 18 minutes long like my my. my <laughs> first monologue this morning was and and it was a late discovery i've been doing the job for a long time before i realized that you've got as much time as you want you've got as much if you're interesting you can talk right we'll come back people don't need a new thing every two minutes we'll come back after the news we do that sometimes if you're interesting we'll come back after the news. Um, i want to move on to this because we mentioned uh, we haven't had her on and obviously she's now doing the news agents podcast emily maitlis made the mctaggart lecture this year at the Edinburgh tv festivals And she dropped some serious bombshells. And one of them was about Robbie Gibb at the BBC and the political capture of the BBC by the Conservative Party. And by um, extension, I think, which was intimated quite clearly, which was that during a critical time of debate, during a time where... The, 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 really, the, the entire future direction of the country from <laughs> fishermen who were told they'd have loads of fish yeah. and now I've got no to sell their fish to small businesses that were, you know, happily exporting could, to Europe. Could be here a while. Absolutely. To, you know, uh, companies who were making insulation. I make my point, yeah. right? She made some really startling statements, I thought, in the McTaggart lecture. How did you feel when you when you watched that? Um, I, I, I mean... I, 
agreement with pretty much all of it. I did. I wasn't involved enough in the BBC machine to know about the the influence of Robbie Gibb in particular. But and and there have of course been people with very close links to the Labour Party who've been on the board of the BBC in the past. T4 Platinum Circle listeners will know we actually have a bonus episode on this where we discuss some of what Robbie Gibb didn't is alleged to have done, uh, which is probably better to keep there where we've qualified yeah, so. it and done yeah. it sort of there. Can I can I just quickly, as as we look to wrap, can we go back to vaccines? What I really like when we talk about, you know, chips in these jabs is it's such a lovely touch of faith in technology because <laughs> <laughs> you basically, you've got two types of chip. You've got sort of RFID and they are quite little, you know, yeah. but you could see one. If one sure. was in a syringe, you could see, you would need a needle about that wide. Right. Great for audio, yeah. this. <laughs> sort of pinch James is making a, a very, very, very small so, pinch. But uh, you would need a needle on fuck lot, you would notice. It yeah. would hurt like fuck. Yeah. And that would just get you a little chip that, you know, a bit like when you tap on your oyster or whatever. Okay. That's okay. all it would do. I could do that. I that do that's that. all that would do. And it wouldn't be in well, there. Well, we're back to the science. For these powered ones that might do something, you're talking about something with a, pa- a long-life battery attached, Are you really? I didn't know And this. so you'll, you know those really <laughs> massive batteries, the yeah. sort of D ones? <laughs> you're talking something about the size of two of those. So and if someone injects you into one of those, into your arm. Yeah, you're going to notice it. But and, what about the Borg in Star yeah. Trek? They so, use those little microchips, don't they? I mean, they were that work small. Well for them. <laughs> they were pretty big. There's so many things about the anti-vax thing that that are so mental, isn't there? I mean, yes. one of them was the marches themselves, which were probably the broadest church of political coalition yeah. I've certainly ever That's been to. That's very interesting. Wasn't but they, it? They did jump out of QAnon. Uh, yeah. you know, it was well, not as, all uh, of them, but no, that's why but, it was such well, a broad it church. It jumped out of it because yeah. there were things like the sort of Save the Children type movements, yeah. which sort yeah. of that's doubled right. up theirs. And that was a soft version of Q- The people didn't know they were... I had a, I had an encounter. ...tied to it. I heard about this. But also so, sort of the, the jab people got sort of pulled into it. So you did have this strange movement. What was your encounter? I was walking up um, Whitehall and someone shouted, it's James O'Brien, which is all, I mean, on every other occasion in my life, that has been a great ego. But that's prefaced pleasantness. (laughs) (laughs) That's prefaced selfies and... and, and, uh, Apart from uh, McKenna's. Yeah, yeah, well, they didn't bellow it. Um, (laughs) And and there was a sort of swarm of people uh, and and two particularly fixed upon me one i i'm afraid i don't quite remember what he was accusing me of but it was something to do with not being supportive enough of black lives matter which i was fairly comfortable i could deal with that and the other one was accusing me of ignoring the satanic paedophile conspiracy that lay under all of the coronavirus legislation and the coronavirus and that you didn't have a good response to because you had been i hadn't got my ducks in a row on this one i have to say so i I mean mischievously i'd ask because they always stick a camera in your face which is always that's something that started with um little tommy 10 names in the edl and that 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 kind of (laughs) little tommy 10 names they get a camera in your face because that way and someone had to explain this to me you end up on youtube and they make money from the number of people who see so you have to be very careful not to lose your temper this is where james's special word comes in what's it called galloping is it right cheekily i say could you film each other (laughs) (laughs) so that it becomes some sort of black black mirror experiment because i can't i'm talking to you one at a time i was literally trying to answer one question and then turn to the other guy and answer the other question the black lives matter dude fell away quite quickly i think he realized that he'd got the wrong horse on this one and that i wasn't part of the conspiracy that he was convinced that exists but the other guy stayed for a long time and we're walking right up past the house of commons and 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 he's accusing me of this that and the other and i'm very polite and quite intrigued because you rarely get to meet Mm. them in the in the wild and i I just said to him bless his little cotton socks i said look if there really is a a conspiracy underway whereby children are being secretly kidnapped Mm. and and killed by paedophiles so that their blood can be drunk yep, also, as an elixir also, yeah. of youth. He was giving it me, and I, I don't know if it ever appeared on YouTube, perhaps it did. And I said, wouldn't your time be better used going after them mm. instead of going after me? And 
he, there was this wonderful sort of pause as the thought crossed his face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he kind of turned his phone off, I think, and he sort of went, you're, you're all right, you are. That's, that's, <laughs> that's and good. I genuinely met him because yeah. he believed it. Yeah. yeah. Why would you be chasing me up Whitehall when you could be out slaying yeah. satanic pedophilic pedophile? Am I right in thinking that even though COVID anti-vax conspiracies are mad... In this one, very rarely for our podcast, it's not the Jews or the Muslims. No, generally not. The Jews actually. have got off quite lightly I mean, with this time, haven't they? It's the globalists, yeah, okay. which can be you a know, synonym. So the Jews are in that. You've somewhere. got to watch with the globalists because some people use it and mean globalists and Davos set, and yeah. some people use it and mean Jews. The but actually, well. mostly, yeah, it's it's Davos and Weff, it's Bill Gates. It's the UN slash WHO one world government type. Well, I'm saying as Jews of the world, we got off lightly this time, didn't we? <laughs> Pretty yeah. good this week. All, all I'd say is losing grip. Yeah, we're losing the grip <laughs> of the conspiracy lexicon. Okay, listen, it has come to that time in the podcast where we have to decide for the audience whether this conspiracy theory that the anti-vax movement was legit is real or a fugazi. So I will start with James Paul. So um, I think... The broad anti-vax movement started as a reasonable, sensible movement. There are a lot of vaccine sceptics that need convincing. The anti-COVID vax lot have gone way off the deep end. Jamesy? I, I think that there was a failure of communication at the outset, particularly when you looked at things like outcomes for black women in childbirth and the imbalance, which coincidentally landed at about the same time that there were some concerns about pregnant women taking the vaccine, which were subsequently scientifically addressed, but by then the, the, the rabbit had been released and very bad actors moved to, into that space where attention and, and profile and status could be won in return for frightening people. And, and that's how the, the quotes movement, end quotes, ended up so big. I think that it was a real concoction of desperately terrified people, as with most of our conspiracy theories, looking for some kind of avid certainty, even if it was the darkest one possible, in deeply dark, troubling, mm. profoundly lonely days. And I do still have, you know, some sympathy. However, I think it was virulently dangerous, killed so as 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 i as someone who actually knows someone who now is cripplingly debilitatingly ill forever having caught covid without having any vaccination at all you don't want to do it kids can i say one more thing because otherwise some people will say oh well they haven't even mentioned that that's very significant there's been a little clip doing the rounds lately from i think a dutch politician in the in the yeah, eu who claimed that he'd got a pfizer yeah. Scientists who admit that the vaccine never, we never tested whether This is whether what it Russell Brand is pushing out. All reduces the time, transmission. So the, the, the vaccine doesn't guarantee that you'll never catch COVID and it doesn't reduce transmission among people who have got COVID and are not and are vaccinated. And this is supposed to be the big gotcha, the big yeah. proof. Well, also, it may. It's, of it's course, the, it may. You know, well, I, yes. They were making a finer point than. The, yes, and, it comes and from it's been very deliberately misrepresented. But the simple equation is this the more people are vaccinated, the fewer people get it. And the fewer people get it, the fewer people will be passing it on to others. So all the talk about protecting the elderly or protecting the vulnerable is utterly pertinent and completely accurate. And the desperation to believe otherwise is the point at which I lose sympathy for some 100%. And the other point, and just to James's point, is there is another video circulating which purports to be a woman on a Pfizer board in a Q&A saying... In, in, it seemed seemingly to laugh as well during it, which was seen as very significant. Oh, we just don't know. James, expand on why we don't know. I mean, part of it is the vi the virus keeps changing. Um, there are some new of sort of slight variations on the vaccine that are hoped to be more effective about transmission. But the big thing of the vaccine is it reduces severity if you get it. And that was the priority of it. Um, so that if you have the jabs, you're both less likely to get it, but the priority is you're much less likely to die, to die <laughs> or to be hospitalised. Yes. And so when people sort of say, actually, we didn't test X against transmission of Omicron, yeah. 
they're not saying the vaccine's useless. They're saying that wasn't the only purpose of it. And something that I learned from you that you told me was that actually the newer vaccines, what they're doing is they're not just looking at the RNA of one strain of coronavirus. They're combining Omicron, the Deltas, all these different ones in order to make a far more effective vaccine, right? Yeah, and they're trying to anticipate possible sort of variations of Omicron that could come in as well. They, they're really clever. They do the know stuff what they they're doing. These scientists, they do. <laughs> from a podcast that's never sick of X-Works, from me, from James Ball, and from, you know, LBC's very own James O'Brien, who is a big friend of the podcast. If and James, anyone doesn't follow you, I mean, there anyone. might be one person out there to make it one million and one, one million and two. <laughs> very pleased with that right now. What is your Twitter handle, James? At Mr. James O'B. And why don't you have Instagram? I, I'm too old. I, I don't have Instagram either. Both See? of my co-hosts don't have Instagram. Whilst 41-year-old Jolian Rubenstein is smashing it with his 20,000 followers. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We will be back in the new year with a new brand spanking new series of The New Conspiracy. That is confirmed. It's not over until the fat lady sings. Our producer was Michael Dale. Our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, Gully Lawrence Tickle and Teddy Riley. Production coordinator was Lily Hambly. Our marketing coordinator, Emily Webb. And our executive producer, Alex Lawless. With additional production from Chris Skinner. Good night. We love you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.